This morning, we're going we're gonna to jump back into the book of Acts together. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. Um, we're going to make our way through this incredible uh, sermon by Peter um, this week. And in the weeks to come, i probably jump back into it after the holiday season, but uh, we at least want to get it started this morning um, and to see what, what Peter has to say uh, after the Holy Spirit came upon uh, the, the first 120 believers uh, there at Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 14 down to verse 21 together, as those will be the verses that we look at. Um, and I will pray for us, ask the Holy Spirit to give us insight and understanding, and then we'll dive in uh, together. This is what it says. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea, And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the time that we have, the, the time to be in God's Word. What a privilege that you have spoken to us. And if we want to hear from you, Lord, we just need to open up our Bibles and read it. And we get the privilege on Sunday mornings not just to read the Word of God, but we get the opportunity to hear from you, through the preaching of your word, to study the word of God. Lord, we don't want the things that we learned this morning to just be head knowledge, but we want it to move deep into our hearts where transformation can happen. And to do that, we depend upon the Holy Spirit. Teach us by your word new things. Remind us of old truths. And all of it, Lord, we want to become more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, before there was any beautiful church buildings, before there were any programs that churches had, or before there was any live music, or before there was any special lighting, before there was advertisements and themes and topics, before there were leadership gurus on how to plant churches and how to grow churches, there was simply this, the preaching of God's word. When Christ ascended into heaven, he went up into heaven. Ten days later, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And we looked at that last week, which is known as Pentecost. And at Pentecost, the result of that was that these believers would speak in tongues or speak in these languages. And last week, we talked about what those languages were. These known languages, Once, one time, the, the day before, they didn't know these languages. And now uh, they, do knew, they do know these languages, which were used to fulfill Acts 1.8, which is to go and to preach the gospel to all the nations. 
Just after that moment, the very first thing that happened was that someone stands up and they start preaching the Bible. And what this does is it sets in motion for us and it lets us know the pattern by which the gospel would be spread throughout the nations and the pattern by which it was spread was through the preaching of his word. The expansion plan of the gospel finds its way through preaching. And Acts 2 has the first sermon by the apostles right there in it, and we just read the first half of it. You keep looking all throughout the book of Acts. It's filled with preaching and preachers. In Acts chapter 3, you can see it again. Peter stands up again, and he starts preaching the word of God. In Acts 6, 4, it is the duty of the elders to preach the word and to pray. In Acts 8, in verse 14, in Acts 8, in verse 25, again, we find the preaching of God's word happening. In Acts 10, 44, in Acts 11, 1, in Acts 11, 19, in Acts 13, 5, in Acts 13, 7, in Acts 13, 44 to 48, in Acts 15, in verse 7, in Acts 15, verse 35, and 36, and Acts 16, 32, all these places throughout the book of Acts is filled with those who are heralding or proclaiming the word of God. Wherever there is church, church leaders mentioned, they are engaged in the preaching of God's word. When people are converted in the book of Acts, they find the means or the instrumental cause of that being the heralding or the preaching or the proclaiming of the Word of God. In fact, all throughout Acts, we looked at this a few weeks ago, whenever you found growth in the church, the one thing that they were doing is you could keep going back to, and you keep hearing this phrase, you see it first in Acts 6-7, it says this, the Word of God spread. In Acts 12-24, it says this, the word of God grew and multiplied. In Acts 13, 49, it says this, the word of God was being spread throughout all the region. Again, in Acts 19, 20, it says this, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And then when they were persecuted, when the church was persecuted, in Acts 8, 4, it says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So you could say this, at the heart of revival is the preaching of God's word. At the heart of conversion in mass numbers is the preaching of God's word. Preaching is the, the first and most important aspect of corporate worship. That's why Timothy was told by Paul, if you remember, he was told by Paul very clearly Preach the word. When? In season and out of season. Don't give in to tickling their ears, but preach the word. Convince them, rebuke them, exhort them with long suffering, with, with, with teaching. This is exactly what Paul told, told Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. As for you, teach them sound doctrine. It's at the preaching of God's word that has lasted for 2,000 years as being the effective tool in the hands of the Lord to bring sinners to salvation. It's a tool that God uses to bring believers to, to full maturity. And the pattern that was set forth was first found here in Acts chapter 2, 
Because the very first thing that someone does once they're filled with the Holy Spirit is do what? The very first event is the preaching of God's word. It's not a laser light show. It's not really loud music. It's not live music. There was no lights. There was no stage. There was no social media platforms or online messages. There was no fancy Twitter quotes or Instagram stories to run to. There was simply the preaching of God's word. You say, was it effective? Oh, it was effective. Look, look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. So those who received the word, what they receive? They received the word. They were baptized, and what happened? They were added that day, what? 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. You say, what about the guy who was preaching? Oh, this is a good, good to know. Look at, look at verse 14. This is, this is interesting. You have, who is it? It's Peter that stands up. Remember Peter? Peter is the one, and we studied First and Second Peter together. Peter is the one that denied Christ three times. Peter is the one who was at a moment in his life where he wept over his sin and he sees Jesus at breakfast by the water. And what happens there is Jesus three different times asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And, and three different times he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And, and now here's Peter at the first opportunity that he gets, he, he totally redeems himself and he stands up and does what? Preaches the word, teaches about Christ. This is a man who failed Christ miserably. Stands up and says, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to preach Christ. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to teach these people what it, the Old Testament says about what is happening right now. And in this sermon, he declares the full gospel of Jesus Christ. He does it with clarity. He does it with boldness. He calls them to believe and repent. He doesn't try to tickle their ears. He certainly wasn't trying to make friends. He had a message. It was Jesus I want you to see this, this sermon. It's an incredible one. I break it, broke it down into to three parts here. I want you to see three parts to Peter's sermon. The first one is this. I want you to notice that it is boldly biblical. It is boldly biblical. He starts out here by answering their question. And the question you can find in verse 12, it says this, what does this mean? He explains it through use of Old Testament scripture. He uses Joel chapter 2 and verse 28 to explain the coming of the, the Holy Spirit. He goes down and he, ta- he, 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 he references Psalm 16 to show that Jesus is the Christ. He uses Psalm 110 to show that Jesus is the Lord. In verses 23 to 25, he, he makes an allusion to other Old Testament passages. He, this entire sermon is filled with the Bible. It is filled with Old Testament analogy and, and Old Testament fulfillment of prophecy. They asked the question, and it was teed up for him in verse 12. What does this mean? This is, church, this is the primary role of the preacher is to explain this question and to answer this question. What does the text mean? That's the primary role, and Peter tells us exactly, he shows us exactly how to do that. 
It's boldly biblical. He gives the interpretation of the passage. And out of the interpretation of the passage, then we can come to the right application of the passage. We don't want to do the application first and then make it mean whatever we want it to mean. No, we find out what the text means. And and out of the proper interpretation of answering the question, what does this mean? You get the right application. Which, by the way, if you look down at the... uh, down in verse 37, it moves from, what does it mean? And then they ask him eventually, what do I do? What do we do? It moves on from, what does it mean to what do I do? Because he gives them the right interpretation. Secondly is this, not only is it boldly biblical, but it's also Christ-centered. It's Christ-centered. If you look down in verses 22 to 24, it's all about Christ. The center point of his sermon is Christ-centered. Look down in verses 36 to 38. Again, he goes back to Christ. This is the one whom you crucified. They were cut to the heart. They asked, what shall we do then because of this? And then the third part of the sermon is this. He gives a courageous call. He calls them to repentance. He doesn't leave them with just information. He calls them to do something about it. He gives an authoritative appeal in this sermon. And that is to what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? So that you would have the forgiveness of sins, so that you would receive the Holy Spirit. Peter leaves them with a call to action. It's not okay to to not change. It's not okay to be inactive. You must change your mind. You must change your thinking. You must change your action when confronted with Holy Scripture. And when the gospel saturates the heart, this is what it does. It causes change. And so Peter calls his listeners to action. The first step being this, you need to repent of your sin if you have not. You need to embrace Jesus Christ if you have not. Because you have not done that, then the rest of the word of God isn't going to make sense to you. And God uses this sermon mightily, powerfully. 3,000 in a single day come to know Jesus Christ because of the bold proclamation of the Word of God. So let's go back then with that overview, and let's talk about uh, this sermon a little bit. And and the first point here is that it's boldly biblical. They asked the question, what does this mean? Why were they asking this question? Because what had happened was, as we saw last week, the Holy Spirit comes upon these believers. They start speaking in tongues. It looks as though, as it says there, it looks as though they they are filled with new wine. It, it, It looks as though they're they're, they're drunk, and, and Peter's trying, or, or, the, or, or, or the people are trying to figure out what in the world is happening right now. Why is this happening? What, why are they speaking in these, these known languages? Can, can we have any explanation as to what this is? And Peter stands up, and he answers them. He addresses them, it says. He stands up with the eleven. All 12 of them are there. It it gives this picture of Peter speaking on behalf of the leadership. All in unison, they are there. And Peter takes the lead. He lifts up his voice and he addresses them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Israel, let this be known to you to give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's just nine o'clock in the morning. This is not happening, but... This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
How does he defend himself? He defends himself using what? Scripture. He's basically saying this. This is not my opinion. I'm going to use the word of God to defend what is happening right here. Just a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I had to take uh, my car in, or my truck into the, to the mechanic. And while I was there, they said, hey, you want a, you want a courtesy ride? And I was like, sweet, yes, I do want a courtesy ride because I didn't think of that step of what I was going to do when the car was there. Um, so this gentleman, very nice guy, he, he gives me a courtesy ride from Kirkland down here to the church. And he says, hey, where are you going? I go, I'm going to the church. And he said, well, why? I go, I, I'm the pastor there. And, and uh, he goes, oh. I have some questions for you. And I was like, great, this is wonderful. You can ask me any question you want. I'll be happy to answer it. So he starts asking me, he goes, okay, what happens uh, when you die? I was like, that's a great question. Let's talk about it. He goes, hey, can I ask your opinion on something? And I go, no. (laughs) I go, because you don't want my opinion. I go, what you want is to hear what God's word has to say. Anybody can give you an opinion. I go, but if you ask me a question, I'm going to tell you what God's word has to say. He goes, okay, what happens to your soul when you die? And I go, you want to know something? The Bible actually talks about that. It says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I go, but in the presence of the Lord means something. It means that you've got to give an account to him. And that's the important thing here is you need to give an account to God. Are you ready to give an account to God? And we just keep talking about this for 30 minutes. We're in the car. He just starts hitting me. Well, how do you know that's the truth? Or how do you know the religions are? I mean, every apologetic question he was there. And I kept saying, God, God's word has an answer for that. God's word has an answer for that. And this is what Peter does. Hey, what does this mean? God's word has an answer for this. Let's go to the Old Testament and find out what this means. And he says it there. Verse 17, he, he, quotes, he quotes Joel out of Joel chapter 2. He says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on every male servant and, and female servant in those days, it says again, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter says, hey guys, there's an answer to this. It's found in the Old Testament. Jews, you guys know this from from the prophet Joel. He said these things. This is what's happening right now. There is an answer to this. God said through the prophet Joel that he will pour out his spirit upon these people. And Peter refers to this text first. Because it is the clearest and most obvious Old Testament prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then with urgency and clarity, he begins to unpack it even a little bit more throughout the rest of the sermon about what was happening in all of it. And he comes to the end of it and he says this in verse 21 or in verse 20, he comes to the end of this section. and He says, hey, there's going to be a day when the Lord comes back. It's going to be, be a, a great and magnificent day. It's going to be a day that's, that's filled with judgment. And if you don't call upon the name of the Lord, Jews, you will be the ones who are the recipients of that wrath. Notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say this, that this 
prophecy here was fulfilled. He doesn't say it's fulfilled right here because not all of this prophecy was fulfilled. He uses this text again because he's speaking about and giving answer to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is a partial fulfillment. It's, it's happening, but more of it will happen in the future. At the end times, there in the end times, the, you'll see more of this unfold where people will see more visions and dream more dreams. There will be more prophecy that happens, but right now he wants us to understand this, that, that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has come, and this is what the whole Old Testament has spoken of. And he says it very clearly, he says this, in the last days, during the Messianic age, this time right here, the Jewish audience here would, would understand that, they would see that. Joel predicted that this would happen in the last days. These are the last days. This is the point Peter was making. We're we're in the last days, guys. We're in the days of the Messiah. He has come. And now the outpouring of His Spirit, you guys recognize that that we're living in the last hour. 1 John 2.18 says this, Children, it's the last hour and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. In Hebrews 1, 2, it says, But in the last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. In 1 Peter, again, Peter comes back to this, and he says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. He's saying to, the, to, to this Jewish audience, guys, we're living in the last days. The Messiah has come. He has now poured out His Spirit upon them. He comes upon males and female servants. There's no discrimination. And the point He is making is this. What you see is the beginning of the end. What you see is the beginning of the end. These are the beginning of what will culminate in the last days. As it says there, the great and magnificent day. He wants them to understand. The Messiah has come. The Holy Spirit has come. It's beginning to all unfold as God has planned it to be. And then he says this, I will show you wonders in heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's saying this, it's going to all culminate here. The beginning of the end will culminate here in the last days. The last days, what are the last days? Well, the last days are, are the days that are building up towards that magnificent day where the wrath of God will be poured out upon the world. He said the wonders in heaven above, the signs on the earth below, there'll be blood, there'll be fire, there'll be vapor of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. 
He's talking about the end times. Pictures of judgment when Christ returns. It's one uh, biblical commentary. It says this. It says, particularly, when it comes to the signs on the earth, scenes of bloodshed and destruction will mark the unsettling and ever-accelerating fraying of the national and international social fabric. Wonders in heavens also will be unsettling. An eclipsed sun and a blood-red moon, possibly the result of earthquakes. The natural order, being out of joint, will only mirror the world's moral order. At the hands of sinful mankind, it will also signal the inevitable end, divine judgment in the day of the Lord. The significance of this Pentecost event, then, is its decisive inauguration of the last days, which offers the promise of salvation, blessings now, but it will also conclude with the judgment day of the Lord. In Matthew 24, verse 29 to 31, it says this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the, the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and the, the tribes of the earth will mourn. And then I will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, and the great the power and great glory, and will will send his angels and the loud trumpet call, and they will ga gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. He's talking about this time of judgment that will come upon the earth. Send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to, the, to, the, to another. It's a picture of even what John told us in, in Revelation, talking about the seals and the trumpets that are coming. In Revelation 8, 7, he says, the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown upon the earth. A third of the event was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the grass, green grass was burn, burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet in Revelation 8, 8. And like a mountain burning with fire, they were thrown to the sea. A, a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures destroyed. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Say, so what is Peter doing? What is happening in this sermon right now? Well, what is happening is this, is that Peter is beginning to put it all together for these Jews. He begins to tie these pieces together for them. And he's saying to them this, look, we're now living in a time where it's, coming to an, where it's going to come to an end. It's all moving towards this, this great day where God will judge sinners, where God will judge evil. It's going to be, as it says there, a, a great day. It's going to be a, a magnificent day. And all these signs and wonders of judgment will be, will be upon the earth. But then notice what he says. He doesn't leave them in despair. He doesn't leave them there going, okay, uh, I, I guess judgment is coming. 
No, look what he says in verse 21. He doesn't leave them there in despair. He, he gives them hope. He says this, and it shall, shall come to pass that what? That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from God and saved from his wrath. You'll be saved from the wrath of God because what? You have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your sins. Listen, I, I love Christmas, Christmas time, and, and I love the times that we get to celebrate about Christmas. I already talked about this. We get, we get food, and we get, we get decorations, and we get lights, and we get family and, and festivity, and we get a baby Jesus. Oh, we love baby Jesus. Sweet little baby Jesus. But church, we can't forget this. Baby Jesus grows up, and he says some hard things. He says things that it's hard for the people to wrap their mind around. He says things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He says things like, take up your cross and follow me. And the first time Jesus came, he came to bring peace on earth. But the next time that Jesus comes, it's not going to be so peaceful for people. He's going to come back and he's going to to right every wrong. He's going to punish sin. And, and these things right here are going to happen. And Joel was, was warning his people, listen, if you don't call upon this Jesus whom you crucified, you are going to be a part of this judgment. And eternity in hell, forever separated from God, And he tells them, you need to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the only way of escape. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. There is no other answer. He goes on and he explains, men of Israel, hear these words. Verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, the mighty works and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, what does he say? You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Man, that's, that is bold. Look over, because he's not done. Verse 36. Let all those in the house of Israel know, therefore, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, what? This Jesus, what? Whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, what happened? What does it say? They were cut to the heart, pierced their conscience. And they asked, well, what do I do? What do I do? My conscience has been pierced. I know that I stand guilty before God. I know I'm the one that my sins put Christ on the cross. What must I do? He answers it first for us in verse 21. You must call upon the name of the Lord. This is where salvation comes from. It comes from the Lord. This is what makes Christmas so special, is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. In fact, his very name, Jesus, means the Lord is salvation 
It was even announced by, by, uh, to Mary that you will call him, his name Jesus. Why? Because he will forgive his people for their sins. This is the whole point of Christmas is right here that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter places such urgency here. Don't delay. We're living in the last times. Don't delay. Don't wait until your dreams are fulfilled. Don't wait till you get the amount of money you want. Don't wait till you get the job that you want. Don't wait till you get the relationship that you want. Don't wait till you make things right here on earth. No, we are living in the last days. And today is the day that you call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. This isn't a suggestion. You must call upon the Lord. Spurgeon says this. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For there will be an escape. There will be an escape for those. As the Lord promised among the survivors that the Lord calls in the worst of times that can ever happen, there is still salvation for people. When day turns to night and life becomes death, when the staff of life is broken and the hope of all has fled, there still remains in God, in the person of his dear son, deliverance to all who call upon the name of the Lord. We must call on the true God, not on an idol or an image or an impression of our minds. We must call on the living God, call on him who reveals himself in the Bible, call on him who reveals himself in the person of his dear son, for whoever will call on this God will be saved. This way of salvation, calling on the name of the Lord, glorifies God. He asks nothing of us but that we ask him everything. We are the beggars and he is the benefactor. We are in trouble and he is our deliverer. All we have to do is trust in him and beg of him. This is easy enough. This puts the matter into the hands of of the Lord and takes it out of our hands. We give our life to Christ and we submit to him. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Psalm 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you. And you will honor me. I have to ask the question. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? If you have. Doesn't it give you even more desire to want to worship him? Doesn't it give you a heart of thankfulness that you're ready? You're ready. And if you haven't called upon the name of the Lord, may today be that day where you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to submit my life to you. I'm going to commit my life to your son, Jesus Christ, who died for me and offered me the forgiveness of sins. When you head into this Christmas week, as you head into to this Sunday, think about that. If you're a believer, think about what Christ has done. The reason Christ came to die for your sins. 
and magnify and worship the Lord this week because of that. Peter goes on even in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, and he even says there's no other name under heaven. In Acts 4.12, there's no other name into heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord for the salvation of your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm guessing that's probably not a typical Christmas message this time of year. But in your providence and in your sovereignty, this is what you have for us and for our church. There's so much grace and so much hope in the message that you gave to Peter to preach to those those men and women that day. What they needed to hear was that the last days have arrived. The Messiah has come. He has poured out his spirit upon us. And we are moving towards that day where you will come and redeem your people. For those who are not in Christ, the great and magnificent day is not so wonderful. Not being ready is a great tragedy. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Would today be the day of salvation? Would today be the day where we start living with the understanding that we are headed towards the end times? Would all who have called upon the name of the Lord worship you in greater and deeper ways because of the the understanding that you've given to us? Because of what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, I'm thankful you grew up from being that little baby to being the Savior of the world. I'm thankful you died on the cross for my sin. I'm thankful that you softened my heart and drew me to you through your son, Jesus Christ. All of it because of grace. All of it because of the unmerited favor of God. And we look to you, even as we close in this last song, to sing from our hearts that you are the Lord of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.